This is Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. Your host, Carl Valeri, has over a decade of experience counseling pilots. Aviation Careers Podcast will help you navigate towards your aviation career goal. Here is your host, Carl Valeri. Welcome to episode 111. My name is Carl Valeri, and I'm here with another co-host that joins me often, and that's Paul Greco. Welcome back, Paul. Oh, it's great to be here. It's been too long. Too long. Yes, it has. I tell you what, Paul, this has been an awesome week. I've been doing some really cool flying. Got to go down to Costa Rica in one day. Got to see uh, four different large bodies of water. I got to see the Atlantic Ocean and the Caribbean. Got to see the Gulf of Mexico and the Pacific Ocean all in one flight. It was That's pretty really cool. cool. Yeah, it was a lot of fun. Flew over uh, Cuba quite a few times and... Another thing I just want to mention to the folks listening, you know, I, I like I said in the past, I, I don't like to share a lot of these personal pictures and things I do on overnights on uh, Aviation Careers Podcast, that type of thing. I just don't think it's appropriate there, but I'd love you to take a look at my personal Facebook page, uh, Carl Valeri, facebook.com slash Carl Valeri, and I do put out there pictures of, of my overnights. Check out my uh, the fun I had down in Costa Rica, checking out some of the monkeys i was hanging out with some of the monkeys that was really <laughs> really cool they actually come right up to you and uh and they'll they'll you know grab food from you and talk to you and stuff like that and i i talked back to them but i'm not sure they understood me but, <laughs> that's but, neat yeah it is, it is and you know i tell you what this is a it's a great life we have here as airline pilots or anybody that's oh, involved yeah. in the aviation industry you do get some of those incredible benefits by being an airline employee you don't have to be a pilot you can be a flight attendant mechanic engineer anybody that's working in marketing law etc management there's so many different benefits we have here as as uh, airline pilots we also have benefits uh being corporate pilots etc the whole aviation community is just phenomenal and uh, that's why we love talking about aviation we, we are just so stoked about this career the cool thing about this career is the fact that we get to go explore things that uh on somebody else's dime our company the people we work for and I think that's really, really cool. Well, hey, Paul, I know you've had a lot of fun lately, and uh, you just finished your – we're not going to talk about it this episode, but you just finished your upgrade, oh. and now you're flying as captain. How does it feel to be captain? Oh, it's great. You know, the, the, it's it's very rewarding. The training was really, really challenging, uh, and it was – you know, it was a great personal milestone for me to get through that training and, uh, you know, and start flying the line. And interestingly, uh, because I'm, I'm what I'm, I'm what they call a, a captain qualified first officer. So I'm able to sit both seats. So, uh, you know, that interestingly enough, you can fly one leg as a, as a first officer and the next leg as a captain. And so it really, it's really challenging. You really have to think about what you're doing because, uh, you know, one, one minute you're doing captain stuff, the next minute you might be doing first officer stuff. So it really challenges you, but it's been a lot of fun. I've been having a great time. Well, hang on a minute. I think we got to back up here because I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of people that have questions here about that whole thing. Uh, there's a first officer and there's a captain and there's two different roles you have. Right. Uh, the, the, job that you do as a first officer is totally different than as a captain. There are certain things that you get used to as a first officer in doing uh, that you don't do as a captain and vice versa. For instance, uh, right. where I work, the first officer does all the weight and balance. 
gets everything ready for the performance. You don't want a captain doing that because they'll probably mess it up. I'm not joking, <laughs> uh, but they don't really have the experience as far as pushing the buttons, the buttonology, and, and doing things as quickly as, say, a first officer is doing that on every single leg. Uh, I think you had mentioned in your airline the captain does the weight and balance. Is that correct? Yeah, it's actually the exact opposite at uh, my airline than it is at yours. So at, the, at my airline, the first officer does the uh, gets all the performance numbers, gets the clearance, gets the weather, um, and uh, and then and then the captain and he does and the first officer also does the walk around, and then the captain uh, just does the weight and balance puts it all together interesting okay yeah exactly pretty much exact opposite of how you guys do it yeah and and it it all depends i mean sometimes the captains jump in they'll do the weight and balance that type of thing but but in general there's different roles at every airline so let's just discuss op specs everybody's operational specifications and also their operations manuals are different so no matter where you work things are different so it's really important when you ask questions about an airline or, or getting ready for an airline or an airline interview you get the specific knowledge for that that airline uh, and getting ready for the training because everything's different. Uh, with that said, with that said, it's still it's it's different, but it's the same. It's very similar. In other words, you know, one airline does the weight and balance, the first officer does it, the other one does uh, the captain does it. For instance, when I got started in in flying for the airlines, the first officer did the weight and balance. As a matter of fact, it was there was a bravado there. You couldn't use a calculator or any other device. You wow, had to do everything manually with a, uh, a pencil and paper and you did most of your your work actually in your head uh so it, it was like it was a whole nother world flying back then honestly uh i think it's better now uh i know we lose some math skills and stuff like that that did help me a lot being able to calculate weight and balance rather quickly but i still right. think it's better the way we do it now because it's much more accurate absolutely uh, but you still have to double check everything and i still think you should do the math in your head no matter what as much as you can uh, when you're doing descents, et cetera. So that's really, really important. Tell you what, Paul, we're not going to talk about your captain upgrade in this episode. We have so many questions to go forward through. But I do want to talk about upgrading on a turboprop and uh, and a little bit differences in training than on a jet. So we're going to have you back on for another episode and talk about you know upgrading on the Dash 8 because that's what you're flying. So Sounds great. That, that'll be a lot of fun. I can't wait to do that. But today we want to want to focus on on just answering people's questions. We have so many. We're so backed up. We want to catch up with those. Before we do that, and before we get into that, I got a couple things, a couple announcements here, real quickly. I know if some of you listen to Stuck Mike Avcast. We just came out with a video. It's about. It's called Advanced Holding Patterns. I did it in conjunction with Chris Bazala. If you want to check that out, go to uh, Stuck Mike Avcast. It's our uh, last episode that we we did, uh, or just go to expertaviator.com/holding. And that's where I have the blog and all the different technical uh, you know, articles and videos. Check it out there. The first video is free. So it's kind of an introduction to holding patterns. So if you're learning holding patterns now and you're IFR rated, check that out. Also, the rest of the video series is actually at $64, but you do get a discount for being a listener here at Aviation Careers Podcast. The coupon code for that is ACP. 10. ACB 10 will give you a 10% discount off that $64. It's really good stuff. I have over 10,000 hours actually flying in the IFR system. Chris Bazala wrote the book on holding patterns. The two of us get together and do this. It's basically like a, the seminars that we do out on the road. 
uh, for the FA safety seminars. But what we've done is we put it into this video series. You'll learn a lot of stuff there. You'll learn also uh, some misconceptions about holding patterns, understanding there is no such thing as an unprotected side of the holding pattern. I know some people are going to say, what do you mean there is? Well, you'll find out in the videos that there is no such thing. As a matter of fact, in Stuck Mike Avcast, we talk about that. So that's some of the technical stuff. I don't want to talk too much technically here. This is about careers. Uh, but, uh, of course, lately huh, it's all been about the airlines and the regional airlines and hiring lately that we haven't had as many people on about some of the other things in aviation, I know, because there's such a flood right now. And it's happening so fast, uh, movement, et cetera. As a matter of fact, Paul, how long did it take you to upgrade to captain at the regional you're at? Uh, well, let's see. I was actually offered upgrade before I was eligible to take it. Um, but I was offered upgrade at 13 months and I took it at, uh, 16 months. Wow. That's so it was, it was really, really fast. And we've had guys actually, this is really cool. We've had, we have one person who upgraded the same in, in their new hire. They were doing their new hire training and they held upgrade and they upgraded without touching the airplane. Wow. So it was essentially a street hire. Um, but more typically, we're doing like a three to six month upgrade if you have um, previous uh, 121 or 135 experience. So if you have your thousand hours as a, in the airline or a thousand hours as a captain in the 135 environment, we're upgrading in three to six months. In the so one, 121 environment, you mean? No, in one no, it's a thousand hours one twenty one or it's a thousand hours PIC one thirty five. Oh, okay, okay, good, good. And um and so if you have either of those or a combination of both, actually, that's how I wound up got getting it. I wound up having some uh captain one thirty five time that, that qualified me, um in addition to my airline time. But uh yeah, so if you have that time, thousand hours you come to the you come over by us, uh, you're going to get an upgrade. It's, uh, it's unbelievable how fast it's happening. Okay, so you, if you're new to the podcast, 121 is airline time. 135 is actually, uh, it's usually unscheduled or charter. It's also uh, a scheduled airline time, 135. So it's a little bit different operation. The first airline I worked for was 135 scheduled. So we're not going to get too much into that now. If you have questions about that, we'll we'll talk about it. But every airline that you fly in, the majors, American Delta, United, all they're all 121 carriers and that's the operation they they operate under that's an incredibly fast upgrade time also for those of you thinking that they're they're moving out of order seniority wise it's not true it's actually you have to be qualified to upgrade just like uh, at uh, different airlines so so just to to clarify that but uh, cool cool stuff Paul Uh, also uh, if you have questions I'd love to hear your feedback uh, at aviationcareerspodcast.com just go to feedback at aviationcareerspodcast or hit the contact page I'd like to hear your questions about the 121-135 I know we haven't defined it here we've had it on other shows but if you have more questions let us know hey Paul you know we got a bunch of questions yeah, let's get at it. We probably get, got to get going on this here. Yeah, let's do it. All right, let's get moving on to the questions here. And our first question comes in. And by the way, if you write us a question, no matter what it is, we'll probably talk about it on the air. If it's something a little more personal, we take out some of the stuff so that uh, I'll share some of the things that, that are non-personal. We take your name out of it, even if you ask us to put it in. I don't like to do that. I want everybody to be anonymous, so you don't, don't feel bad about asking a question, even if it's personal. And again, we have coaching one-on-one at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. And, uh, and a lot of questions come from that. So let's move forward. Uh, first question comes in, says, Hello, what should I study before going to initial training? What book should I read? What subject area should I study? Also, what supplies should I take with me down to the classroom? Laptop? Books? Notebook? Anything else? 
Uh, I actually was asking him what he was referring to in this question. He's actually going to training in SkyWest Airlines. Uh, I actually went through SkyWest Airlines. I was one of the airlines I worked for while I was on furlough uh, at uh, at my previous airline, uh, Continental Express or ExpressJet uh, is what it turned into. The, uh, the thing you should bring to training is your brain and have it turned on. That's the biggest thing is number <laughs> one. Uh, normally, you don't have to bring much. They'll usually send you some information. My biggest Okay, here goes. The biggest thing that, that you need to remember before you go to training, if they send you information and say, memorize this, have it memorized before you get there. Oh, I, yeah. I went to SkyWest, and I actually kind of was a little bit cocky at the time and said, ah, I don't really need to know everything. I was busting my butt trying to memorize all those different things that I had to memorize and I should have memorized before I got there. Luckily, I have a decent memory, so I was able to do that. I'm not sure I could do that now, being a little bit older. Uh, <laughs> but uh, but definitely have that all down and, and pat. Bring something to write on. Most things are actually given to you when you get there. Uh, if you work for an airline that has iPads, laptops, etc., they will give you those things. But bring some uh, uh, a pen, paper, things to write things down with. And the reason is this. Usually when you get to training, the one thing that they they don't usually give you written down is things like how to sign on, where to find the bathroom, and those kind of things. It's good to, to make notes of that. It sounds silly, but it, it's good to know names of people you need to contact. That's one of the biggest things I write down is who they are, who I'm speaking to. When you get to class that first day, you're going to be so, at such a buzz in your head that you're not you're not going to remember much but make sure you write down people's names cuz those are really important people normally they're like the vice president of training or the vice president of operations or the COO is who you're listening to you may never talk to them again but sometime later in your career you'll need to talk to them write those names down write down the contact information so you have that uh but become ready uh, have everything memorized limitations memory items ready to go uh, and that that's the most important thing. Uh, the other supplies, you really don't need a lot other than what they tell you. As far as what to read before you go there, uh, there's the, the Turbine Pilots uh, guide that actually I always have on the website under reading. Uh, we have some of those on aviationcareerspodcast.com as far as uh, reading materials and a suggested reading. So take a look at some of those things. Paul, do you have any suggestions as far as what to read there? Yeah, well, I, I'd like to stress the the uh turbine pilots uh manual that was that that book is incredible because it that book takes each system of the airplane and breaks it 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 sort of generalizes it um because so it doesn't talk about your specific airplane but it'll talk about um say a bleed system and it talks about the various different types of bleed systems and how they work or a turbine engine if you've never flown um, a turbine-powered aircraft before. It talks about how a turbine engine works. That stuff was all really, really helpful. And it was, um, it. I read that book before going to training, and I thought it was. I thought it really helped me to understand the systems of the aircraft that I'm flying. Um, so good, that that was stuff. definitely, yeah, it was really good stuff. And the other thing too, I do, I would absolutely stress whatever the whatever the airline says to to study ahead of time flows memory action items and limitations uh if if you can do that before you go to class you will be 80 percent ahead of the way because you, when you get to class there's going to be a lot of required reading at the end of each day and it and you can get behind really really quickly you may have uh, you know over 100 pages to read for the next day and you only have two or three or four hours to do it so um you know, yeah, that that's really, really important. Otherwise, I agree with everything else that Carl said. Maybe just a highlighter. 
because we're still on paper. <laughs> <laughs> good point. Highlighter is a good idea. Uh, also, some people bring uh, cards with them just to memorize their memory. Yeah, note cards. Note or, cards. Uh, yeah, flashcards. There's apps for that now. Yeah, but, there's yeah. apps on iPhones. I know back then we didn't have those things. We only had tablets and E6Bs that mm-hmm. were manual. But uh, we, you know, we etched in stone that type of thing. They, <laughs> but it's a good <laughs> idea to have have some kind of a flip card. You could do that on your iPhone, etc., or any, any other device. By the way, that's under recommended reading. Aviation Careers podcast, what he just talked about, the Turbine Pilots Flight Manual. Uh, if you buy it from us, obviously we get a little commission to help uh, support the podcast. The other cool thing is another one called Mental Math for Pilots, and uh, that's really helpful. And that'll help you with the three-to-one rule. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out. Uh, it helps you with uh, determining your descent profiles. When you start flying a larger jet, you start flying something really slick. You need to know how long you need to get down, how far you need to be out to start your descent. That's something that's really important, especially in a plane that's super slick and won't slow down. And uh, that's usually some of the jets. Turboprops, a uh, little bit easier to slow down, but uh, but if you're flying a jet, which you probably will be, you need to know that. You need to know how to get down and what to do. So uh, look at that reading list there at Aviation Careers Podcast. Thanks for that question. I really appreciate it. Let's move on uh, to the next question. He says, hi, Carl and crew. I currently work for a 135 operator, just like we talked about, and he's looking to make the transition to the regional airlines. The end goal would be to work for JetBlue or American Airlines because I live in South Florida and would like to drive to work one day. That is an awesome goal. I love the fact that you define that. That's very, very important is defining where you want to be and what you want to do and why you want to go to a certain airline. That will come out in the interview, so remember that, okay, in your interview. Uh, look, I'm looking for guidance on how to choose a regional airline that is a fit for me. There are so many factors to consider, such as contract, work roles, base options, time on reserve, time to upgrade, commutability, pay, flow-through agreement, or other pathways to the major, being able to drop trips or trade, etc. Sounds like you've done your research, by the way. <laughs> While there's, there's enough basic information on the web to get a general idea of how an airline operates, I'm finding it's impossible to understand the contract, work roles, and life at an airline unless I have a personal connection with a pilot working there. It is an amazing time in aviation to join the airlines. It sure is. I want to make sure I make the right choice for my career and my family. Quality of life is very important. My current quality of life at my 135 operator is top-notch, but career satisfaction and future outlook is low. I definitely want to challenge myself in the airlines and would love to fly a large jet internationally one day. I'd be interested in coaching services to better talk about my choices and path ahead. I didn't feel comfortable entering my credit card information on the coaching page because my browser said the connection was not secure. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to hearing from you or your team soon. Have a great day. Uh, by the way, thanks for going on the coaching page and looking at that. I think we fixed the problem. Um, had a, a little technical issue with there. Miss, me, Mr. Programmer, I should know better, but uh, and I think it's fixed. If it isn't, let me know, uh, and we'll get together for coaching. Anybody who's looking at coaching, we can do that uh, one-on-one. There's obviously things we can't talk about on the podcast uh, we can generally answer your question here, which is a great way to start. It's free if you just write in the question, but there's some really, really uh, granularity that we need to get down to uh, in your situation. So one of the things, a couple things you mentioned there, how to choose a regional airline that's a fit for you. First of all, don't look to a gift horse in the mouth. If you get a job, you might think about taking that job. Uh, there's many different regionals hiring. Uh, you may find out that when you get there, you might like it, even though you, all the reading on the Internet says no. Uh, I didn't think I wanted to be an airline pilot. I thought I'd want to do other types of flying. When I got here, I said, oh, my gosh, this is so cool. I love it. I want to keep doing it. So so make sure, make sure 
that you look at whatever it is you're doing and whatever airline you're looking at and take a holistic view. I think that's that's super, super important. A lot of, again, the fact that you define your goal. Uh, quality of life. Let, let, let's talk a little bit about all the questions you asked. The reason that your question really isn't that complex is this. There is one of the contracts that I looked at uh, was for, I think it was Continental or United now, 800 and something pages long. That defines quality of life, defines work rules, defines all the things that you talked about. Think about that, 800 pages. That's a lot. That's pretty big. So by talking to somebody that works there, you can get you, – it really is good to hash out some of those questions. We have a lot of people. We have a big resource of folks that actually work at a lot of the airlines that you talked about. So if you want to talk to one of those people at those airlines, especially, you know, like you said, American JetBlue, we have people at United, you know, get in touch with us. We can do a coaching session one-on-one -on -one with one of the people at those airlines that will give you the unbiased uh, opinion about that. Uh, like I said, well, there's there's a lot of things that I can't say here uh, on the air, but boy, we'll I'll give you the skinny about or whatever, or the person that's working there will give you the skinny about that. It's really really important to understand what it's like being there. I will say this as far as quality of life, I'm with you. Uh, I actually hold captain at the airline I'm at right now. Uh, I just choose not to be captain, and I'll tell you why. I don't fly at night. I don't do uh, red eyes. I'm enjoying my trips. I, uh, you know, next month I have 19 days off. Some people call that a, you know, a vacation. I just call it days off. Uh, and it's a wonderful thing. I love what I'm doing. I love some of the places I'm going. I'm exploring those places that I, I haven't been able to explore before because I am so senior. At some point, once I'm done doing that, yeah, I'll bite the bullet and I'll go to the captain and fly all night uh, doing the red eyes, that type of thing. And and not having the best schedule being on reserve. But for now, I'm enjoying my quality of life. My wife and I are doing things together. We're having a lot of fun. So so that's really important. So uh, looking at the quality of life where you work is really important. I know, Paul, you, uh, when you were making your decision, we've gone over this. It, it's, you know, quality of life was a big thing for you, wasn't it? Oh, sure was. I mean, it, it was everything to me. Uh, almost more important than uh, career advancement in a, in a, in a way. I mean, you know, I, I was okay with maybe taking a slightly longer path if it meant having a better quality of life with my family. Turned out that um, I think just with a little bit of luck, which I, I think is, you know, really important in this business, um, you know, my, my, my career path is actually uh, moving a lot faster than I than I even anticipated. But when I made my decision, my decision was based completely on quality of life, which, you know, this this um, listener talks about being able to drive to work one day. That was my main goal was to drive to work. I didn't really, I almost didn't care who I worked for as long as I could drive there. Uh, and I, it just so happens I live in an area where I had a bunch of a bunch of places to choose from that I could drive to. So in that regard, I was very lucky. Um, but I, you know, I agree the contract and the work rules are, are very, um, are very confusing. And to tell you the truth, even, even working at the airline, sometimes it's confusing. Um, and, and you've got to ask questions of the, of the union folks to help you with the contract. Cause there's a lot of things in there that, uh, you know, you know, that you just need help interpreting from time to time, but things like time on reserve, time to upgrade, you know, all that stuff changes. Even the flow-through agreements, all that all that stuff changes. So to me, um, that that's why it was important for me to to work in an airline that I could drive to, that I could I could commute in my car to, because that dictated my quality of life. 
Um, you know, if I had, if I had like, as a, as an example in July, I have, I have two, two day trips backed up on one another. So it's essentially four days, but the first two day trip ends in the afternoon and the second two day trip starts in the afternoon. So I get home, let's say at like 12, one o'clock in the afternoon on the second day of the first two day. And I start about that same time on this, you know, on the, the first day of the, of the next two day trip. So I really have like a full day off in between those two day trips. And if I didn't live in base, if I didn't drive to work, I wouldn't be able to spend time with my family my wife and kids. And so that's why it becomes really important to be able to do things like that. So for me, that was everything. I get it. And I, he's asking all the right questions. So I, I think it's great. Now let, let's back up there on the definition of driving to work here. You know, yeah. <laughs> so, so hang on a minute here. I drive to work also, <laughs> but, but mine drives a little bit different. I drive three and a half hours to get to work. Yeah. And, and that's a much different ball game than just driving. Yeah, I drive uh, 25 minutes. 25 minutes. Yeah, so I drive to work also, but when I drive to work there are times uh so let me give you my scenario today. Here's a good example. Last night I finished a trip. I went from Kennedy down to Fort Lauderdale, then went down to Kingston, Jamaica and back to Fort Lauderdale. I was too darn tired to drive home. So I had to get myself a hotel room. Well, I got 2 days off, right? But in reality, I didn't get home here because I left at like 6.30 this morning to drive over here from Fort Lauderdale because of the fact that I was too tired. I couldn't drive it last night. I was just too, too tired. you know. So here I am. I've got two days off, but in reality, I'm only home maybe about a day and a half because I'm going to have to go back to work, either drive it or fly it. Usually I drive it because the schedules don't work out for me. Very rarely do I fly it. So now here we go again with the quality of life. Why do I do that? The reason I do that is it enables me to do this podcast easier. It also enables me to visit my relatives. I have lots of relatives on the way back on my drive that I normally don't get to see. And also, the other cool thing is there's there's bidding as far as your bases are concerned. I actually will fly to work now starting in December. I'm moving my base up to JFK where I will be able to fly to work and then go to those destinations that I've been wanting to go to uh, down in the islands. So I kind of switch things up. And and that's another thing as far as quality of life I want to explain is look at the airline you're going to fly for. And say you're somebody that wants to live in, I don't know, in, in, the, in Guam and United has a base in Guam. You might want to think about going there. And, and living there or living in San Francisco, find the airline that has the base that you want, like you mentioned, and go towards that and say, hey, listen, I want to go and work in South Florida. There's a lot of airlines that, that fly out of South Florida, as a matter of fact. But also there's there's a, in a lot of different aviation companies. But there's so many different opportunities out there to define the way of the quality of life that you want. Another thing to consider, and obviously once you get to the majors, you can do this because you can afford to do that, is is buying a place in your base. A lot of guys I know, they'll go out and gals, they'll go and and buy a house or a condo in the in the base and where they live. And they'll use that condo and then rent it out when they're not there when they go to another base, etc. So so you can wind up doing that. I was just uh working with a guy just today. He's got five homes and he lives between all those homes when he's uh out on the road. He, he commutes in on one. He drives into work for most of the year, and the other parts of the year he flies in, kind of like what I do. So uh, I change seasonally, and that's a cool thing about quality of life is uh, I do kind of the reverse snowbird thing. 
I like where I live in Florida during the summer. I like to be here in the summer and up north in the winter. I know it sounds crazy, doesn't it? But <laughs> uh, but I, it, it's a different it's a different animal because and just just follow the logic here. When I'm up north in the winter, I fly to all those island destinations down south. So I'm in the snow, and then and then that afternoon I'm on the beach, you know, in the water hanging out, and that's kind of cool. So again, that's that whole lifestyle thing. But again, with your with your career and your ideas. You know, choosing an airline, a regional airline that will fit for you is somewhat important. But remember, this is also a stepping stone. So if you find an airline that's going to give you an upgrade within six months, you might want to think about commuting to that airline job just because you know that in six months you'll be upgrading to captain. As opposed to having an airline in your back door that actually is taking eight years to upgrade to captain, which will not enable you to move up to the majors until much later. Uh, so it's something something to think about there. So there's a large equation here. So it's very, very important. I'm glad you're looking at coaching because we need to define those specific goals that you have. And, uh, and any again, anybody else looking at coaching, just, just let me know at aviationcareerspodcast.com slash coaching. All right, let's move on to the next question. I think we got that all, all spelled out. Uh, the next question comes in. It's uh, somebody who's actually uh, talked before about his, his movement in his career, and he likes to share that with us right here. Uh, here it's, he says, hope you've been well. Great news. Training is going very well. I've got my multi-engine commercial checkride scheduled and I've spoken to about five regional recruiters so far. I'll need about 150 more PIC airplane hours to meet most airline hiring minimums. Remember, he has a previous military helicopter pilot experience and I plan to come out of pocket for the time building. I'll get the other requirements completed using the time building, mostly IFR, of course. Focusing on the time and exactly the skills that would be most useful to the regionals. Uh, they've all, and this is a good point here. He says all the regionals have told him IFR, IFR, IFR. The biggest challenge that I see when I talk to recruiters, when I talk to people in training uh, departments, this has been going on actually for decades, is that the IFR skills are lacking, and that's usually the the biggest skill that that is lacking. You've been flying, say, banner towing for the past couple of years, and that's some great, you know, stick and rudder skills. It doesn't quite apply to the IFR environment, flying in the clouds, much, much different rule. And I know, Paul, you kind of had that as an example. You know, sir, you know, there, there's a right. difference in, in flying in the VFR system and folks coming into the airlines and then flying in the IFR system. I know it's a challenge, isn't it? It is. And I was actually just giving that same advice to uh, somebody that I'm coaching um, because he, he's building time right now. And, and the majority of the time he's building is VFR time. And I explained just just exactly that. You know, when I was flight instructing, I was primarily that's obviously all primarily VFR uh, VFR maneuvers, and uh, because the prime the majority of the students that I instructed were primary and commercial students, or very few instrument students that I I taught uh, up in this area. And so, um, what really really helped me transition to the airline was that the fact that I was flying charter for two years, so I was getting real world IFR experience in the system, flying in really heavy weather, um, and a lot of it uh, was single pilot IFR. Once I got qualified as a captain, so um, that was I think instrumental in in my success as a new hire at the airline. So yeah, I I, I would put a big emphasis on any kind of IFR flying that you can do. So that's important to, to your question uh, is that, you know, IFR is very, very important. Uh, he continues with his question. He says, uh, or his, his email says, I know the route is rather unorthodox, but I find myself in the opposition of not being able to complete my CFI ratings in time 
with the availability of schools in the area to get hired before I leave the Army. Also, I need to earn more to cover my financial liabilities than smaller charter companies, etc., can offer for those 150 hours. I'll be looking for methods to save costs such as pro rata sharing with other students, mood lending for charters or other companies, flying clubs, etc. So I do intend to obtain my CFI ratings eventually, and I think that's a great idea for all those re reasons you just mentioned. I'd like to, to work with you or one of your other career coaches on preparing my resume and preparing for the interviews, etc. Should you request time on your schedule on the website like I did before, the regional crews I spoke with all said that after I complete my multi-engine commercial, they are ready to bring me in for an interview since I'm so close to their hiring minimums and will complete the rest prior to starting new hire training. The time has come, and I, you're right, the time has come. Uh, so, again, if you are interested in, in coaching and, and interview prep, we'll get together and we'll schedule some time, look at your resume. Uh, we we do, uh, and you know, I know, Paul, you've you've actually done some coaching and have been in the coaching experience with us. Right. Uh, we do get into some, you know, we, some comments about your resume and, and about your approach to your interview and to your questions and your answers. You may not, uh, you may not feel so comfortable with, but it's important to know. Uh, you need to know some feedback as to what you're doing. We try as hard as we can to do that in, in a manner that doesn't make you feel bad, but we also want to tell you the truth about how you're coming across in the interview. So we definitely do that. So uh, He continues with the email, says, Thanks for all your mentorship and support so far. I've attached my current first officer resume. As always, you and your co-host continue to inspire, encourage, and educate me and achieve my current aviation career goals. Looks more... Nine, quadruple nine than ever. I think that's awesome, dude. Uh, I, you know, it's uh, this is someone obviously we've coached before, and uh, and if you're listening, you've been in our coaching services. Uh, it really is important to continue moving forward like he's doing, and, and setting those goals. And like he said, the time has come; it's time to move forward. And I think that's very, very important. It's also important to find somebody that's going to give you an opinion about what you're doing and look at your resume. And, and also listen to you when you answer questions. I know, Paul, we, we got you ready for this, uh, for this job interview and a job interview yep. you did. And, uh, you know, there were certain things that, that you were doing that you didn't realize that, that I right. think after, after some, some, I think a, a lot of practice, it helped, you know? Oh, big time. I mean, and, and most recently, uh, when, when we, we coached on, um, uh, that, that most recent job, uh, interview that I had with the, for the, uh, uh, flow through programs. Um, it was, it was incredibly helpful because you don't, like you said, you need unbiased, you need an unbiased, uh, uh, opinion of what, what, what the, the coach is seeing, because that, there's no way for you to improve if, if they don't give you that, if they don't give you that, that constructive criticism, it's not anything personal. And, and, you know, you want to make these mistakes with, with your coach because then we can correct it and, and get you in the right direction. So it's, it's really, it's really, really important stuff. Yeah. It's like your flight instructor, you know, you want them to give yeah. you some critique and, and you learn from not that. the check airman. Yeah. No, no, the check airman is too late, you know, and that's uh, exactly, and you don't want to bust the check ride. That's for sure. So anyway, right. thanks for those comments again on the coaching on the site. That's barely been keeping us real busy. I know that a lot of people want to get in 
and we are bringing on some other coaches for certain other airlines uh, that uh, that I don't do or, or Paul doesn't do, but there's a couple other guys that do other ones. And we also, if we can't do it, we refer you to some other really good partners of ours that do a bang-up job getting you ready for the specific airline that you're looking for. Uh, so if we if we don't do it, we don't waste your time. We say, hey, there's another guy that does a much better job than we do. But for most of them, uh, we can do a, a lot, of, help you a lot with doing interviews, that type of thing. Anyway, let's move on here to the next question. That was a great question, and good luck, by the way. Uh, it says here, I know your time is valuable, so please allow me to say that I'm a big fan of all your podcast work. I'd like to pick your brain and would be happy to pay for an hour of your time if you felt like this was something you could really chew on. If after reading this email you think that I should talk, I'd be thrilled to do so. By the way, just writing in here, hopefully this will help you too. I live in New York City. There is nowhere to go in the city for flight training. Well, that's pretty obvious. There's no airport there in the city. And for good reason, I suppose. The nearest GA airport is 30 minutes away by car without traffic over an hour via public transportation. Honestly, though, your situation is somewhat normal to other cities. You do have to travel kind of far. I Gosh, I had to go 20, 30 minutes to do my flight training, and I live in the suburbs. So that, that definitely... The majority of my students uh, came from the city when I taught Interesting. Uh, as a flight instructor. I'm probably one of those airports that's 30 minutes away. Right. So, it, And that's just the way it is. I mean, you're in a big right. city. They don't stick airports in the middle of the big city. And plus, the airports that are close by, you can't fly out of. <laughs> you know, they're just too exactly. big. Um, but anyway, he continues, uh, why not a sim-centric training facility? This is really cool because I know I wish I had Eric Crump here right now. They are very sim-centric uh, and they're flight training device-centric uh, at uh, Polk State College. And uh, I think it's really cool, especially the comments he's about to make. I know there are limitations for the amount of time you can log in a sim towards your tickets, your flight you know, your pilot certificates is what he's talking about. Removing that from the equation altogether, why not have a facility that goes through nearly an entire Part 141 syllabus in an advanced sim like the Redbird? And then with a partnership with a flight school at a nearby General Aviation Airport, schedule actual flight training to put in the practice that you've already mastered in the sim. My hypothesis is this. Through a sim-centric training program, you can create safer, more proficient student pilots who will end up spending less money over the course of their training while providing a service that currently does not exist in the most densely populated islands in the U.S. And uh, there's, it's true. There, there's, there's a lot of that going on. Uh, I'll comment in a minute. But anyway, we'll continue. I know that sim doesn't replace the real thing, but I can only imagine how helpful it would be to run a given maneuver or procedure over and over again. Further, it seems as though New York City is an untapped market for potential student pilots with such a concentrated population. I'm optimistic that filling those sims might be pretty doable. And even more, I think we'd want to partner with a couple FBOs and schedule time where the sim students could go up with an, one instructor in pairs to watch from the back while others fly for an hour, then switching roles. That's a good idea. Clearly, there's a lot that needs to go into this from a market research standpoint, but before I begin that process, I want to get feedback on the concept. Sorry for the lengthy email. If this is something you'd have been keen inside our advice, I'd be happy to buy an hour of your time. The teeny big about me, I'm a zero-hour pilot. I find money to be the largest barrier at the moment to begin my training, so I got to thinking, and how can I become a pilot as inexpensively as possible while increasing my safety? And and not have a three-hour commute to and from the airport. Anyway, please let me know your thoughts, and I look forward to speaking with you. Hey, you know, I'll tell you my thoughts. I've actually looked into this, uh, doing like a sim setter, that type of thing. Um, the guys, that the, the people that do this successfully have usually done sims that were not just uh, for training, but also for 
for people like almost like thrill seekers, people that want to go in and and take their their ride in the in a seven oh seven simulator or a seven twenty seven simulator, and then also have pilots that can come in and actually log that sim time. Obviously, you're right. Uh, there's just so much that can count towards your rating, but using a simulator is very important. I know that Paul and I both actually went to a flight school in New Jersey uh, that has uh, does a lot of sim training. It's invaluable. It really the the amount of experience you get from that simulator translates very well into the airplane. As a matter of fact, remember this: that the airlines, the first airline flight that you do, the first airplane landing that you do, is with passengers on board after getting out of a sim in your check ride. So think about that. So sims are they're very very realistic. I think they're great tools. They do have their limitations as far as making it a viable business. That's a different scenario. Uh, I've I've seen it done, but again, it's usually done in in conjunction with some other things. If you're going to provide training to other schools, 141 and partner with FBOs, yeah, that's important. I, I will say this: look into it because the, the equipment is not cheap. Uh, we've actually looked at doing that, and uh, it definitely isn't cheap. But it's a great idea. It's a lot of fun. You get to impart a lot of knowledge and also get a lot more people involved in aviation. So I, I think that's a really, really good idea. Uh, but there's there's a lot of sim centers out there. Uh, I, there's a little reluctance amongst people to go and fly in the simulator before they get in the airplane. But I will say that learning happens uh, quicker in the airplane if you've done a lot of sim training, uh, even in doing VFR maneuvers. Uh, and, and just getting ready, to, you know, uh, ready with the buttonology and your procedures. Very important in the simulator. Uh, I don't know, Paul. Have you had a lot of experience? I know I talked about the one that we know that uh, does a lot of has a lot of emphasis on simulators. But but do you get in with simulators with your students a lot? You know, I try to with the instrument students um, uh, because I you can really develop the in, you can really develop that instrument scan in a simulator, which takes up a lot of time. So we would I would do a lot of uh, basic attitude flying, and then we'd go fly in the plane, and then we'd come back to the sim, and I would do. I would teach holds, and we would do holds and, and and various entries, and I would do all that in the sim, and then we'd go we'd go do it in the airplane, um, and and there, and it definitely um, oh an emergency procedure. So we would do partial panel instead of doing partial panel and just putting a a post-it note over the attitude indicator. I would I would fail the the instruments in the simulator, and so it was much more realistic. Um, and then we would we would do approaches and, and things like that in the simulator. I feel I, I personally feel like there's not enough simulator training in general aviation. Um, the one school that you and I went to, obviously, um, I think because he the owner of that school is is uh, was an airline check airman and airline trained and and. Um, and a, a company instructor, you know, he brings that aspect into uh, his school, and so I think that's why you see there um, so so much emphasis placed on the simulators. Um, but I do believe that that simulators are not utilized enough in general aviation, especially for emergency procedures, for flows, uh, for like you said, the switchology, buttonology, that that type of thing. I think it could be helpful. I'm not entirely sure how well it would it would translate into doing things like, you know, um, the VFR, the private pilot VFR maneuvers, uh, uh, S turns and, uh, you know, turns around a point, things like that. I think because the limitations of some of these, uh, 
general aviation simulators like the Redbird. I, I have had I've had an opportunity to fly that. I don't know that the well it, the feel isn't there, and I don't know that the um, the visual cues are there as well um, as they need to be to actually be able to utilize it for that. But I think there are so many other gains that you can get from the simulator for other aspects of your training, like emergency procedures and things like that, that uh, it, it should be utilized more often. You know, to add to your point there, as far as the, the visuals and the, the visual maneuvers, right. uh, if you notice, most airlines do not have a circle to land on right. your rating. Exactly. That's yep. one of the reasons is most simulators that are able to do that are incredibly expensive and also it doesn't work out that well. A lot of times when they do right. that it's in the airplane. Right. And that's really expensive. And that means taking an airplane off the line, they're not willing to do that. Right. Uh and, and I know there's people out there who have done circle land in the simulator. We used to do it. Uh but after a while it's just it's just too high a failure rate, number one. Number two uh, it's also it, because it doesn't depict it very well in the simulator. Right now, it could change in the future, but you're talking three, four, five million dollar simulators, whole different ballgame. Right. Uh, but, you know, it's kind of funny. Uh, I know some people are wondering what the heck we're talking about here. We both, turns out, found out not long ago that we both went to the same flight school for some of our ratings. And I actually worked at this one flight school. And uh, the person that we're talking about has a real uh, great background in aviation, loves training a really good flight instructor and has a really unique approach and very unique individual, but he does stress the simulator training. And I can't, I tell you what, when I got to the airlines, uh, the IFR stuff that I was doing was not that tough at all because he just drilled that stuff in us. It was like, wow. And, uh, you know, training and training with, like you just said, with holding, you know, Hey, there's videos out there like ours, you know, the expert aviator.com slash holding the new video we came out with, with holding patterns. You'll, you'll learn a whole bunch of stuff with all the different things that are out there. We have tools. Other people have tools out there too. You know, the King courses, everybody, there's so much stuff out there. Uh, that you can use. So you use that and you use your home simulator for procedures, uh, putting together a simulator train, training center. Might, it might be hard to compete with that, although I will say the Redbird is awesome. And they do have a good VFR machine for doing crosswinds, and I think that's really cool because you don't spend enough time in, in the flare, and I think that's a, a really great device, and so are most simulators because when you're on a landing approach, it does have all the visual cues, and it does help you quite a bit. Uh, but uh, but it's really important to get in that airplane. So anyway, so I hope that's helped with that question. And I I think uh, simulator training is just there's not enough done right now. And even in the, in the VFR environment, I love going through it uh, and talking about like the G1000, how to learn that in the simulator. All, All right. that stuff should be done in the, in the sim. It costs so much less than going out in the airplane. When you get to the airplane, it's like oh wow, this isn't that bad. Uh, this is and this saves so much time and money. So that's, that's a great great avenue there. Anyway, thanks for the question. I appreciate that. Moving on to the next question. It's a short question. Uh, they asked not to reveal the, the person's identity, but which we don't do anyway. Uh, they wanted to know, they're in college, and they want to know about uh, participating and applying for scholarships. Uh, you've heard about it on the, on the podcast, and I'll repeat it, aviationcareerspodcast.com slash scholarships or aerospacescholarships.com. We have the largest online directory of verified Aerospace scholarships, aerospace, in other words, we do mechanics, flight attendants, pilots. We do everything, aerospace engineering, law, uh, flight nurses, etc. We have scholarships for everybody, 
and it's only ten dollars and we're we're actually stressing more of it to use it on Amazon digitally because Amazon does a great way great job of distributing that product you can sign on to Amazon you can look at it and you can also download it to your devices no matter what you're on you can get it there so it's it's only ten dollars the online version the printed version I know people are asking for this is gonna be quite expensive because it's a lot bigger than we thought uh, it's hundreds and hundreds of pages, so you're probably looking at, I, I think it's going to be around $40, $50 for the printed version. It may even be more than that. So I highly recommend doing the online version. Of course, we have this, the the membership on Aviation Careers Podcast that includes some other videos, but that also includes the most up-to-date online version of the Scholarships Guide. Uh, but remember this, if you were to buy the Amazon Guide, we update that throughout the year. So if you buy the 2016 Guide, we update that, and you just have to re-download that from Amazon. We figured out how to do that. Uh, and also, there's a downloadable PDF file. Uh, so, yeah, if you want to participate in scholarships, the biggest thing is going out there and applying. We're adding new chapters to the book because it's a question that we get is how to apply what you need to do. It's up to you, though. You're the one that has to go through it and, and prepare it and prepare that scholarship. It's worth it. I tell you what, when you get a, a $500 scholarship from putting in the time, uh, and just doing an essay, it's great. If you get a 5000 or if you get a 50000 that's awesome. It's really worth the effort. So uh, so that's how you can do that. Uh, if you're looking for a scholarship, just go out to aviationcareerspodcast.com, look at, at scholarships. By the way, if you want to check out how many different scholarships we have, that's another way you can do it, going to Amazon. There's a link to Amazon. It, uh, it's in the preview there, so you can look at all the different scholarships we have out there because we get that question often. Uh, they have this really cool uh, review uh, that you can do on Amazon. It's called Preview, and you can actually look at the directory on the first couple of pages and read the first couple of chapters, so it's all out there. So anyway, thanks for your question about that. And another person that's really been a big help with the uh, scholarships guide has actually been Paul. Paul, you've done a done a lot of work lately on that and uh, found some really cool new scholarships, haven't you? Yeah, I have. And, you know, there's I, – I can't – I cannot say this enough. One of the reasons why I like working on a scholarship uh, guide is just the fact that – I know that this can help so many people because like one of the the previous uh listeners spoke of before the the biggest challenge is to flight training is finding the the finances and the research you know the financial resources to be able to uh you know accomplish those goals and uh and that was certainly the case for me and gosh if this book was out there when when I was training I mean, I would have paid a lot more than what we're asking for it because it really – the potential the potential is there to really essentially pay for your entire flight training plus. I mean, there's stuff in there in this book for everybody from uh, student pilots all the way up to, you know, airline pilots, ATP pilots uh, who are looking for type ratings there and, and anything in between. So there – there, there's a ton of opportunity here, and uh, and I really encourage everybody to check it out. If you are, I mean, I cannot stress how great this would have been, you know, when I was training. Uh, I would have applied for a bunch of these things. So, uh, yeah, definitely check it out. You, you have nothing to lose and everything to gain. 
And even an old guy like me can apply for some of those scholarships. Yeah, well, I don't know. You're kind of oh, old, come so. on. Be nice. <laughs> all right, all right. You could you could apply for something. Yeah, I can. There, there's something there's... with a walker. I thought oh, I saw. Hey, <laughs> get close to that. No less. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really is important though to look because you never know. There's some scholarships that are available that you would think you can't apply to, but you can as long as you're a member yes. of the organization yes. or support that organization. So I highly recommend checking out all the different scholarships. Uh, it's something that, that is, this, this is the one thing in my life. It's kind of put some meaning in my life is that, you know, if you've gotten a scholarship from this guy, let me know because it, it really turns me on. It makes me happy to find out somebody was able to get some money and move forward with their aviation career. Uh, you know, obviously I don't do this, this podcast or anything for the money because, you know, I make, I'm an airline pilot. I make a lot more money as an airline pilot. But, but with that said, this is a lot of fun. It's really rewarding. So I'd love to hear from you if you've actually, uh, gotten those scholarships. So, so definitely tell me about those. It's, it's a wonderful thing and it's been my joy in life. It's been kind of my mission is to get people money for their education. Anyway, thanks for the question. Let's move on. We got, God, we got so many questions. Uh, so, uh, let's keep moving. We, uh, We'll try to keep this episode to an hour. Uh, says here on the next one, it says, I hope all is well. I am currently a first officer for a Part 135 caravan operator. I have a client lined up to start doing some instructing for him. He has his own Piper Cherokee. I was wondering if I could, if you could pass on some tips about independent instructing. I'm already planning on getting some CFI insurance from AOPA. I haven't instructed since December 2015, which is for a 141 Collegiate Flight School. Also, I've heard that this new ASC, Airman Certification uh, Standard, starts uh, next month for the private pilot. I have not been keeping up to date on all. If you could and you had any guidance, please let me know. Thanks, and have a great day. Well, first of all, the uh, talking about the uh, Airman Certification Standards. Uh, the, there's a new way that we go about what's re, it's replacing the PTS. It's already here. I talk about it a lot on an, on the Stuck Mike Avcast. As a matter of fact, one of our co-hosts, Eric Crump, uh, aerospace director at Polk State College, was one of the people that was involved and in, actually in charge of doing the prototyping for this this new system. And the new Airman certifications is out there. If you want to learn about it, do this. Go to stuckmikeavcast.com, episode 122. We talk a little bit about it because that's when it came out. But the real one you want to listen to is Stuck Mike Avcast, episode 116. Eric Crump has been going throughout the country and has been talking his head off about airman certification standards. And also, he was incredible on that. And he, he was absolutely incredible on that. It so, was awesome. Yeah. And, yeah. and he, he explains everything about it. I, I wish that one, that one episode you should download and keep because yeah. you will learn so much as to why how, what, and and moving forward what they're going to do. And I think it, it was a very important podcast that we did. Uh, we've got a lot of people downloading that one. So Stuck Mike Avcast, episode 116. I'll link to it in this podcast. Uh, you really need to go out there and check it out. Stuck Mike Avcast, by the way, that's our podcast where we do something technical and we also talk about some fun things in aviation. So you always learn something and we also have some fun. So check it out. It's a blast to put together. It's totally different than this. We don't talk about careers really unless there's somebody on there who has a really interesting story. And it usually involves some other career, and they got into aviation because of that. Some really inspirational people on that show, so check that thing out. Stuck My Gavcast, episode 116. Uh, you'll learn quite a bit about it. We'll have links to all the courses that are online uh, with the FAA safety seminars, and they'll get you up to speed. As far as going back to your question now, as far as working as an independent instructor, 
Okay. Insurance is important. Uh, we use AirPros. Uh, that's because Victoria Newell is a co-host on the Stuck Mike Avcast. She also sells insurance, and she's told us how important it is to have instructor's insurance. It really, really is. You have to have insurance and, and hang on to it because you never know if, if something were to happen. Uh, then, And it doesn't necessarily have to be an accident incident. They may come after you for something else in their career. Uh, maybe you gave them you know, bad advice, et cetera. You have to be careful. You might get sued, that type of thing. So, so make sure you get insurance. Uh, obviously, insurance for uh, other reasons, uh, if you have an accident, incident, et cetera. But being an independent instructor is many ways to do this. There's ways uh, you, know, you can have your own business like we have where everything runs through the business and uh, we're obviously incorporated. So all of my instruction and all the other instructors are, are put through that business. Uh, there's ways to get out there to market yourself that are really easy. Uh, and one of them is just talking about aviation all the time. I've been a big believer in then always wearing your aviation love somewhere. Have it around your neck, you know, have it as a t-shirt, you know, ask me about flying t-shirt, you know, I fly, why don't you, that type of thing. So it's totally geeky, but it works. And, uh, people start asking, and uh, you have a picture of an airplane on your shirt, people will ask you. And that's usually where the conversation starts. I can't tell you how many times I was able to bring people into the airport and do an intro flight just because of the T-shirt and that type of thing. Uh, I don't, uh, Paul, have you done much independent instructing lately? Not lately. Uh, back when I was instructing regularly, I definitely did a little bit uh, back then. And, yeah, I did get a lot of, uh, I got a lot of referrals from people who uh, either had, I had worked with at one point, and somebody, another pilot that they were friends with, um, said, "Hey, I, you know, I need an instructor for uh, a flight review or something of that nature. Can, you know, do you know anybody?" And and so I got a lot of referrals that way, and I actually also got referrals through friends that were uh, and family that um, you know they people wanted to do. Um, uh, introductory flights or, or flights down the Hudson River, or scenic flights, that type of thing. And so, uh, you know, people would somehow find my phone number and get in touch with me to, to do that. So it was just, it was a lot of it seemed to be word of mouth for me. Awesome. Yeah, that's, that's the way it works. I mean, getting out there, yeah. tell, you know, you know all the good instructors because years later you ask for them. And, you know, we have a friend, a mutual friend that I haven't seen, I guess, over 20 years, and I saw him the other. He's still instructing at an airport where you fly out of still. Right. And a uh, really good instructor. And it, word of mouth, it works. It really mm -hmm. does work. So that's that's the most important thing. And get get business cards. You know, tell everybody you're a flight instructor. And and, uh, and do seminars. Do free seminars. Uh, you know, I do them all the time. Uh, I've got, you know, over 100 of them under my belt. Uh, you go out there in the community, do a free uh, webinar, et cetera, and that, that really helps. Uh, but anyway, I hope, hope that's helped some. Uh, as far as specific, as far as starting your business, there's so many darn books out there. There is a good book, though. Uh, I forgot to mention. Uh, there's uh, The Savvy Flight Instructor. Yeah, by, I was just going to mention that. Yep. By, um, oh, my gosh. I know. Anyway, it's called The Savvy Flight Instructor. and It's killing me. I can't remember his name. He's going to kill me now because you know, I spoke with him not, not too long ago. But it's a wonderful book. We'll have a link in the podcast to that, and it explains the whole business of actually flight instructing. Hey, listen, Paul, we got one more question that we can actually do because we're coming up on our hour. You ready for one more? Yeah, let's get it done. All right, let's get this one done. This is kind of a long one, so so let's go moving before with this one. It's uh, He starts with this. First and foremost, I just wanted to thank you and your co-hosts slash guests for the incredible podcast. It is such a great tool for those 
with an interest in aviation. So good, in fact, that I predict there will be a quote-unquote Valeria effect five to ten years down the road when all your listeners are knocking on the doors of the human resources departments looking to fill the cockpits of all types of airliners due to your motivation. <laughs> stranger things have happened, right? Well, you're right. Stranger things have uh, have happened. That's funny. I like the Valeria <laughs> effect. Anyway, a quick background on me and where my love of aviation came from. My mother used to work for Eastern Airlines in the credit union, so we were able to travel very cheaply through her benefits, often down to her side of the family in Florida. Not much is cooler than a six-year-old than flying a huge chunk of metal hundreds of miles per hour through the sky to another part of the world. Another wonderful benefit, by the way, of working for an airline. Also, my grandfather was an air traffic controller at Miami International for many, many years and always had model planes or cool pictures for me to check out. But, like so many others, I lost my passion and believed that a career in aviation was for retired military pilots and those fortunate enough to have started when very young. I know now, thanks to your podcast, that there are many other avenues to become a pilot and I intend to pursue them to the best of my abilities. Well, hats off to you. So here I am, a 34-year-old quality control manager for a medical device company. It is a decent job, but certainly not my passion. I also recently went through a breakup with my longtime girlfriend that made me realize that now, if ever, is a time to take control of my future because I'm single and have the time to do so. While it wasn't a divorce you went through, our age and relationship status when you started are pretty similar, which made your story very relatable, which was a huge help to me. So the breakup helped lead me to taking a discovery flight with a nearby aviation school, which really opened my eyes to how much fun flying is and how attainable it could be. I have zero hours flight time, but I've been shopping schools in the area, and I've pretty much decided on Part 141 school so that I've only needed 190 hours to get my commercial license, not 250. Thanks for the info, by the way. A uh, little update he gave us. He looked, looked, took my first lesson the past weekend, and it was incredible, he says. A little quick, maybe 30 minutes flying, and very hot, 93-degree day, but it's all I've been thinking about since. That's awesome. I'm reading up on everything I can and doing my homework for another lesson tomorrow. I plan on taking two to three lessons to ensure that I like it then figuring out the best way to finance and pay for everything in the smartest manner. That actually is really cool that you're doing that, by the way. Take a couple lessons, see if you like it, get your feet wet. If you don't, then you can move on. I think that's a great, great idea. So anyway, he has a couple questions. First, my instructor said he could train me through Part 61 or 141, but said he didn't really see much additional value to the 141, and he has to record negative comments if I don't fly well, with 141, whereas with 61, it's not documented. Does this sound correct? I've listened to all the podcasts on this issue, but haven't heard this mentioned. To me, I would just like the opportunity to save time and money on the 60-hour difference for the commercial license. Let's address that question uh, first right now. As far as what he's talking about, the comments and the 61 and part 141, it really depends. 141, again, you can get it done a lot quicker. Uh, these days you need more hours to get to the airlines. If that's the goal, then, you know, maybe, maybe the quickness isn't as, as much of a, a deal, but then again, it gets you towards making money quicker. So that's a positive. Okay. Number two, what he said about the comments. Okay. Here's my opinion is num when you're making comments in a training program, like a 141, there are certain things that you, you can place in there that say, okay, needs more review. There's some negative comments you can put in there, etc. 
The airlines do this. Every training department does this because they understand that nowadays with the, the Pilot Records Information Act, or PREA, that the, every airline and the government will be looking at your training records. So now, unless it's truly a negative, I will not put it down in your training record. If it's something that was not quite up to standard, I'd say, okay, we need to try that again. Obviously, if you're having problems with something and we don't think we need to move forward, that's going to be placed there in your training records. But I hear you. I, I know what he's saying is that, or she's saying, that the 141, just like any program in a training program at the airline's, or in any of the training departments, they're going to have to write down things that you needed additional training on. Does it matter? Somewhat. Somewhat. In that if you've, the big things are if you've trained, if you fail the stage check or if you fail the check ride. Uh, going back and, and finding granularity in your training records, whether you did one maneuver not perfectly, I don't think is as big of a deal. Uh, and, you know, there there is nobody that has been born yet that has done 100% on every single test and every single flight. So that's the one problem with the new new records and the standards. Also, uh, I don't think there's many instructors that would put negative comments down on a brand new pilot, especially because you have to look at the person and look at their abilities and look at their where they are in their training. I'm not going to ask you to do a perfect stall the first time you fly the airplane. But as long as it's commensurate with your level of experience, then we'll write down that you've you've completed that maneuver and moved forward. So, Paul, I don't know if you've had much experience with 141. I've been assistant chief for a couple of different 141s. I understand what he's talking about, but I haven't seen too many problems there. I don't know about you. Yeah, I, the only thing, I, I do have some experience with 141 schools, I, both as a, as a student and as an instructor. And the only thing that I would say is that um, the only I, I agree with you. The only thing that could potentially be a problem, I think, is a stage check. And I don't even know that that's a Priya. Uh, I don't think that's something that's. I'm not sure if it's if that would show up on Priya. But I do know that there are um, on airline applications. I have seen a question for Have you ever failed a check ride or stage check? I've ha- I have seen that uh, question there uh so you know you know if you're if you're training 61 versus 141 61 you're just going to train until your instructor thinks you're ready for your check ride he's going to sign you he or she's going to sign you off and you're going to go take your check ride and you're going to have one check ride whereas part 141 i what is it for private i think three you get three stage checks maybe before your um before your private for your actual check ride. And that depends on your specifications, actually. It can be more than okay. that. But yes, yeah, it's all depends okay. on But usually that's what it is, yes. <laughs> Just not to be too yeah. specific on each. No, no, yes, yeah. you're right, yeah. Uh, and that that's important. That's a great point. I mean, you, you don't, you know, if you haven't passed a stage check, that will go on your record. Right. Period. And, right. uh, so, you know, look at that. If you're nervous about that, then, yeah, that's that's important. But, you know, honestly, if you fail a check ride, that's a biggie. You know, you fail your private, that type of thing. But even that can be explained as to, you know, why did you fail that check ride, et cetera. Uh, some of these things I, I think are kind of silly as far as uh, the PREA requests are. They can come out and pull all your records. I know it's important to find out if someone has a lot of failures. And I understand why they're doing that because the, the of that one crash in Buffalo where the person had failed so many different check rides. But those were some pretty big items that that person failed. Uh, uh, and, and it's interesting because you look at that and say, well, 
you know, how could this person ever go forward in his career? And even with that, even if you have certain problems in your background that can be explained, you may still get hired. So that's that's something important uh, to look at uh, and, and to discuss even further. Uh, so it's, it's, it's a big sticking point, and I understand what he's trying to say, your instructor's trying to say, but you really... Uh, Either way, I, you know, one I this is what I do. I've always trained under 61, or many times I've trained under 61 using a 141 syllabus where I had to use 141 uh, because of the person, you know, using their VA benefits or whatever. Then I will do that underneath that, but it's it's never been a big issue uh, unless it really should be an issue, and then maybe that's a good thing. You know what I'm saying? If if there's if there's an issue in your training, it's good to bring that out then and not move forward. So right. uh, hopefully that's answered your question. Uh, and uh, but yes, it is correct that you have, there's a lot more documentation that goes on under 141. Uh, and also is quite more restrictive in the things you have to do and the things you have to review that type of thing. It actually can turn out being more expensive sometimes uh, under the 141. It all depends. It all depends. Anyway, let's move on to a second part of his question. Uh, he says, as part of my professional revival, I've been talking to the Air Force Reserves and just need to pass a physical after getting a 91 on my ASVAB last week. Pretty good. My uh, early aspirations are to become a flight navigator on the C-5 Galaxy. How cool would that be? That would be cool. So my question is, in your experience, if I ever made it to the major or regional, would their training program be accommodating to my responsibilities? Uh, if I end up joining in the Air Force Reserves? Or does the Air Force Reserve allow members to take time off for civilian training? I know this isn't your area of expertise, but I figure you might have encountered it throughout your career. Funny you should mention it. It is my area of expertise. I spent many years uh, as a leave of absence coordinator for the Airline Pilots Association for both furloughs and also for military leaves of absence. Uh, the airline, there's a lot of things, that, and I've actually fought for people's benefits on their behalf uh, that were in the military or called up to active duty. One of the things you have to understand is the airline must give you time off, and they are incredibly accommodating. And at the majors, I think they, they might do a better, a better job just because they have a little more experience with it because a lot of guys there are out of the military. But if you need to go and, and, and you need to, to go to your reserve, you, you'd get called up to duty, uh, whatever it is. Uh, if you have to go up to active duty, whatever it may be, the airline is accommodating. Uh, there's also the, the Soldiers and Sailors Act, which is now called uh, something else now, and I'll, I'll have a link to that too. But they have to give you that time off. They're very accommodating. All you have to do is this. With any leave of absence, it's some paperwork that's involved. Once you're in the system, it's usually run through quicker. So the first time you do it, it might take a, take a little extra time. Uh, so if you're signing up for FMLA, uh, that's one type of leave of absence. You have to put in the request, et cetera. If you're putting in your, your request for your leave of absence to the military, there's a couple things you have to put in there in the beginning, uh, but it's not that big of a deal. It's just some paperwork. And then you start requesting your leaves and say, hey, listen, you know, I have to go on this weekend or I have to go for this time. Uh, I'm going to have to take this time off. They will give you the time off. They have to by law and also the fact that uh, they also have a lot of folks in the military. So yes, there's. Uh, I would not worry about the Air Force Reserves and that that running contrary to your job, especially in the airlines. They usually have a lot more uh, experience with it, and I have had a, quite a bit of experience working with people and their military leaves, and also active duty. And and believe me, 
sometimes the the personnel departments in, in these airlines mess up, but you got to remind them here. This is the law, and this is how it works. Uh, if you're active duty fighting a war, they have to give you a, a job or a similar job back when you come back from that war. And I've had to represent quite a few people there. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, I would not worry about it at all. And we do appreciate anybody that's serving in our military and in our services. And, and most airlines bend over backwards because they do appreciate what you're doing. The, the things that I'm talking about, you know, not to get worried, are the exceptions. You know, every so often an exception comes up. I'm going to have to say probably once every four or five years I've seen a personnel department screw up and and not do it properly and you have to remind them hey listen this is how it works so so you know that's definitely the exception to the rule and most airlines are very 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 accommodating so hopefully that answers your question uh and lastly i heard and he goes on i heard you mention on a podcast the <laughs> oh here we go uh the other day that you've put on 60 pounds <laughs> since becoming a pilot i wish i read this before <laughs> i said it <laughs> <laughs> so he asked what's the one thing you're going to do today to start losing weight <laughs> just a good-natured joke i hope you don't take offense but your listeners need to keep putting how <laughs> keep you putting out great content uh i think that's terrific i i'm glad you called me out on it uh the as far as the 60 pounds is concerned i'm actually am doing something i finally said you know what i gotta if i'm gonna talk the talk i gotta walk the walk um i've uh decided to really start on that path of of losing weight not so much just the weight but the weight size is is more that that's important to me because uh, I've you know been all different shapes and sizes. It seems like round is the shape for now, and <laughs> and I'm trying to change that. Uh, but I have come down. My goal I've done 20 pounds so far, uh, and my next goal is 30. It seems like 20 was fairly easy. The next 10 is killing me, uh, but it will happen. And I'll tell you the one thing I did. And it was real simple. Is I started looking at what I was eating and uh, what I was doing differently. I also looked back at my life and I said to myself, what was I diff doing differently when I was skinnier? And now I'm trying to do those same things. It is really takes an effort to lose weight, especially in this job on the road, because they're <laughs> a great example. I was just at an all-inclusive resort uh, and my airline paid for everything there. Free food, free everything. You know how hard it is not to go back to the buffet 20 times <laughs> and getting five different desserts. I'm not a real dessert guy, but, you know, you know what I'm saying. I mean, there's there's so many good things out there, so you have to just limit yourself. And, and the one thing I've done it, to move forward with my weight loss is just to start reading and understanding what I'm doing and understanding what I'm uh, you know, the food I'm putting in my mouth. I've never had to do that really much in the past, and that's probably why I've gained so much weight. And also making an act, taking an active role in in doing exercise and doing things that are, that that allow me to move. When you get to the airlines, it's so easy not to do anything, to just kind of sit back, try all. You know, you know me. I like to try all these different beers from all over the world. Well, you know what? Now I limit myself. I have one or two. That's it. That's it for the whole, you know, couple of days, and and I won't have any more. It's just that's enough. It, it allows me to try it out and move forward. But uh, it's just like I said in these these <laughs> buffets, that it's so easy to to overeat, and it's what you eat too. So what am I doing? I, I'm actually, you know, looking at what I eat. I'm, I'm reading a lot of books on on nutrition, and I've gotten some help from some people as far as nutrition is concerned. So thanks for calling me out on that. I appreciate it. And you're I, exercising. I am exercising, uh, definitely doing that. In different manners of exercise, 
Uh, I'm having fun exercising. I'm not going to make this a weight loss program. Oh, here we go. Carl's Aviation Career <laughs> Podcast episode of How to Lose 60 Pounds by the next episode. Now, it, it really, it, it's it's hard to do, but it isn't. Once you go in that down that path, just like I've said on the show, and you make that one step, it actually becomes easier and easier. And I'm finding that now that I understand uh, I really, to be honest with you, I, I haven't really paid much attention to what I'm putting in me and, and eating. And now that I'm understanding what's good for me and what's bad for me, uh, just saying in this aviation career, saying what's what's the best way to go, what direction, that type of thing. Once you start looking at it more, it's easier to make those decisions, just like you're listening today. And it's easier for you to make those decisions by listening to what other people say and also by actually reflecting uh, amongst yourselves and, and what it is you do. Then you can move forward with it, whatever it is, whether it's weight loss, et cetera. Uh, we actually did an episode about trying – no, maybe not. Anyway, we'll, we'll either do that. There is somebody out there that does want to talk about uh, you know, how to eat well on the road, and uh, it can apply to anybody. But uh, but that is I think important. We did that, didn't we? Do I a, think we may have. And I, I can't had, remember like, the episode. How they asked us about how we pack or yeah, like, that was yeah, or something like that. How I, we I, eat I, on the road? Yeah, I don't think that was very scientific. No, uh, no, no. But but it was. No. And, and we probably, probably could talk more from a, a nutritional standpoint. <laughs> but there's uh, there's certain things, and again, that's the thing. I'm packing a lot better on the road. Uh, you know, my wife likes to sneak in those Oreo cookies. I am an, I don't like desserts, but I do like Oreo cookies. So that's the one thing that'll kill me. So I, I just keep trying to stay away from Oreo cookies and, uh, I've been eating a lot more healthy foods. And I think that that's everybody that wants to keep their medical, uh, as you get to my age, certain things start happening and, uh, you really have to watch your medical and, uh, and make sure you don't lose it whether it's from high blood pressure or uh, having sugar, blood sugar problems. A lot of people develop that later in life. It's not that you can't get your medical back, but I have, uh, and you know, I've worked with some people on medical leave, although that's not my area of expertise. I've worked with a couple of them. Uh, getting that medical back can be uh, quite difficult, and you could be out of work for a year or two, and that's another reason it's important to try to get on with an airline that, that has uh, benefits, that uh, disability benefits, because then at least you'll be making money while you're on that leave. Uh, so that's important there too. So yeah, so that's the one thing I'm doing. I'm, I'm really paying attention to what I'm doing. I'm learning as I go, to be honest with you. I'm reading as much as I can. And I had no clue about certain things that I was eating and how bad they were. Maybe not so much at how bad they were, or how many calories they had. Uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Five Guys Burgers, but those fries are enough calories for a whole day. You know, just those one set of fries. So, so anyway, thanks for calling me out on that. I appreciate it, but I am getting there. Uh, I will know. I'll let you know when I hit the thirty. The thirty mark is killing me. I mean, I, I'll definitely after the twenty pounds wasn't bad, but the, the thirty is is. Uh, I'm at a what do you call it? I'm just at a plateau. Plateau on the way down. The plateau on the way down. So so I'll, I'll get there. I will get there. And I appreciate what you're saying and and anybody else's comments. I, I thanks thanks for the encouragement. Anyway, uh, he says, if you get a chance to respond, it would be greatly appreciated. I understand how busy you are, so no problem if you can't. But I really just want to express my gratitude for some tremendous career motivation for me, especially after going through a tough stretch in my personal life. So thanks to you and your co-host for the priceless advice, career help. 
Have a great week. Well, thank you for writing in. And anybody else, please tell us your story. Write into us. And let us know, you know, the things that you're going through. Because it really, when you're looking at a career, it, you have to take a more holistic approach. You have to look at your whole life and decide what's best for you. There are things that get in the way. There could be, you know, a death in the family. There could be a struggle financially. No matter what it is, there are roadblocks and there are hurdles that you have to get over to move forward in your career. I really encourage you, though, that keep trying to move forward. Uh, just like I'm doing doing on my weight loss, what what other people are doing right now, trying to move forward with their careers and learning the new skills they need to know or getting ready for an interview. They're doing something, something to move forward with their career. Well, Paul, hey, thanks for coming along. I think that's the last question I'll be able to take. Absolutely. Yeah, this that's has great. been awesome. Uh, if you want to get in touch with us, you know how, aviationcareerspodcast.com. Feedback at aviationcareerspodcast.com. I'll redirect the question to to one of the, the folks here. Of course, we'll read your question online. We may just take out one sentence from it because uh, some of these obviously are real personal, so we weren't able to read the whole question. Uh, but also, uh, you know, one thing I, I'd like to encourage, just like I've been doing uh, with, with my weight loss and also my career moving forward, uh, make sure you do something. Take one small step today to move forward with your career, with your life. Take a holistic approach to it. Look at everything. Look at the, the things that you would want to do. Maybe that one step is this. Maybe that one step is imagining yourself as an airline pilot. It's imagining yourself as a mechanic, a flight attendant, a gate agent, etc. Imagine yourself doing that job. Maybe that's the one thing you need to do today to move forward in your career. Maybe that will motivate you to move forward and move forward in another direction. But do something. Do something now. We'll talk to you next episode. And safe flying. You have been listening to Aviation Careers Podcast, an aviation podcast about living your dream and pursuing an exciting aviation career. This aviation podcast is produced by the Valeri Aviation Corporation. Although hosts or guests may receive compensation for products and services discussed in this podcast, compensation never influences our opinion. Before purchasing any product or service, you should always do your own research. Music by Billy Wheeler. All rights reserved.